This episode of The Minimalists Podcast is brought to you by the letter R. For Ryan, me, because that's who's doing the podcast today. Enjoy the show. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and I am half of the Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 16 We're doing this one similar to how we did episode number 14, where instead of Josh hosting it by himself and answering questions, it'll be me answering questions and hosting it by myself. Today, we're going to chat about, well, we're going to chat about a lot of things. We're going to talk about my wardrobe. We're going to talk about procrastination. We're going to talk about all sorts of subjects. But before I get into that, I just want to do a quick reminder about our documentary. If you have not got tickets yet, this is really kind of your last chance because if some of these screenings aren't tipped, they won't show. So you can't wait until the last minute to purchase a ticket. So a lot of these events are one night only, special events. Since that's the case, I encourage you to get your tickets ahead of time. Go to minimalismfilm.com and then click on see the film. All right, let's go ahead and get into our voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Kristen in Seattle. I experience issues with wanting to minimize the amount of social activities I do. But at the same time, I'm struggling with that whole uh, FOMO or fear of missing out. I feel like I don't get very much value added from doing all the different types of social groups, but at the same time, I still struggle because I want to explore, I want to go out and meet people, I want to try new things, but every time I definitely try out um, all these different activities, I end up getting burned out really fast, and it just makes me seem like a flaky person or someone who can't really commit to groups. Do you have any advice on someone wanting to explore, meet new friends, and get new experiences without burning yourself out or looking like you can't commit to anything because you're trying out too much? All right, Kristen, that's a good question. How do you minimize your social activities but still go out and meet people and, and still associate with others? Well, I can tell you right now that you definitely do need to make a change. You said it yourself. You're feeling overwhelmed. You're not finding a lot of value uh, in, in all of this association. So I certainly would agree with you that yes, something needs to change. You need to be more deliberate with your choices when it comes to uh, going out, associating with others, uh, going to social events. I know that I certainly uh, have struggled with this. I, I am a, a, a big extrovert. I love going out and hanging out with people, but uh, sometimes I will overcommit. I will double book myself. <laughs> um, I've ran into a lot of, a lot of problems with uh, trying to do everything at once. And certainly there is that fear of missing out that, that all of us have. Um, I think I'll talk about that first, about the fear of missing out. You know, 
we're all missing out on 99.9% of everything right now. Everyone who is listening to this podcast right now is missing out on everything else that is going on in the world. So there is certainly things that we feel like we might be missing out on, but even if we get to do those things, there are so many other things that we're not able to do. So that's that would be my first first piece of advice is just realize that every decision you make, every every piece of time that you uh, that you use, you are missing out on everything else at that exact moment. So really, the question isn't what am I missing out by not going out on this Wednesday night or this Thursday night. Maybe the question is is how can my time best be used right now? And if you're like me and if you're a huge extrovert, I can tell you the first step for me was getting comfortable with myself. I would go out and see movies by myself, go and have meals by myself. I would really go out of my way to do this. I would schedule time by myself to to really get comfortable with that. And I still am very uncomfortable with it, but I am much better at being with myself and uh, I can still get a lot of things done, still be productive uh, by being by myself. It's funny. I, I feel like I used to, in the, in the old corporate world, it was always, hey, let's go to a coffee shop and do some email together. Or, hey, let's, let's sit in a conference room and, and talk this stuff out together. And that's, that is typically how I approach most of my work. And I can tell you now that I have found, uh, uh, found it comfortable being by myself, it's, I'm much more productive if I'm, if I'm doing those things alone. So first I would say, get comfortable with who you are and and, and, and being with yourself, go out of your way to change your state uh, by doing things that you typically wouldn't do. If you're typically going out and partying on Friday and Saturday night, well, go out and party on Friday night. And then on Saturday night, try something else. Try something different. The other thing I would suggest, too, is schedule those times that you want to be social. Pick a number of times that you want to go out each week. If that's six nights a week, great. That, that's the number for you. For me, I probably couldn't go out six nights a week. Um, I would be too exhausted uh, in the mornings eventually if, if I was going out every single, single night. But, but schedule each outing. Schedule each time uh, that you have with your friends and family or coworkers or networking groups or whatever it is. Schedule that out and don't stray off that schedule. So just to kind of sum that up for you, Kristen, start with learning how to be comfortable with yourself. Make sure that you're changing your state uh, at some point each week, doing something different, uh, and make sure that you're, you're utilizing your schedule and you're sticking to that. Now, inevitably, what will happen, you'll have your week planned out and something will come up uh, the next night. You've got to treat your schedule like gospel. Now, if it's an emergency, I certainly understand where you would vary from that schedule. Or maybe it's a really, really amazing opportunity where you're going to get this big promotion or wh- whatever. Uh, I, I, I know there are reasons, there are valid reasons out there that will make you vary from your schedule, but I'll tell you, there aren't very many reasons, uh, and very many good reasons, I should say, uh, that, that should give you permission to vary from your schedule. So we're going to go ahead and give you a copy of Essential Kristen. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that book. Josh and I wrote a bunch of essays and kind of compiled it in this, but we talk about the fear of missing out. We talk about uh, scheduling, and we talk about how to change your state. So I think that that book will help you out. 
All right, let's move on to our next voicemail from Courtney. My boyfriend, he loves to buy me things. He's a great gift giver, and it gives him great joy to give me things. But we've gotten in arguments over this before, me saying I don't need things, and him expressing that it gives him meaning and purpose to give them. It especially upsets him if it's a holiday for gift giving, specifically my birthday, and I ask for no gifts. His gifts always are really wonderful, and I love them a lot, but they're things I never knew I needed until he gives them to me. And then I become attached to more things. So how do you navigate the balance of respecting both parties in that? His right to give and my right not to receive. Uh, my other question pertains to his family. And I know earlier in podcasts we've talked about gift giving as being a ridiculous love language, but my boyfriend and his family have taken that on as theirs. His parents love to buy me gifts, but they buy me things that I don't like or that don't fit me. And in your last episode, you talked about, as a gift giver, feeling more offended by someone who is disingenuously accepting a gift they won't enjoy rather than um, the bummed out feeling of the person turning down the gift straight up. And so if someone is expressing their love and joy to you by giving you a gift, how do you turn it down respectfully? Because I found that when someone is giving me a gift um, and saying, "This is I got this specially for you, and when they've gone out of their way to do that for me, it's really hard to look at them and say that you don't like it or don't want it. For some of the things, I have taken them back to stores and gotten cash or credit for that, and that has added value to my life. But for the stuff that I can't do that with, I'm just trying to figure out how to be respectful about it. Courtney, wow. That is certainly a, a tough situation to deal with. I, I know there are a lot of people out there who get a ton of gifts <laughs> that they don't want, whether it's for them or their kids or, or, or what it may be. You know, first I would I would have a conversation with your boyfriend. I'm sure you've talked to him before, um, but but try to make it, you know, a, a very serious conversation that really helps find a balance between this uh, this this gift giving and, and gift receiving. And I would start the conversation out with something like, you know, honey, I love you very much, and I really appreciate having you in my life. And without you. My life would not be nearly as great as it is right now. And I want to talk to you about something that it's not really easy to talk about, about all the gifts that you've been giving me. And a lot of these I do find value in, but, but some I don't. And I don't want to hurt your feelings and just pick and choose what gifts you give me. Uh, but I would like to find some type of balance between the two of you getting me things that I enjoy and me having to hold on to things that I don't find value in or, or don't use. So maybe we could start gifting each other experiences, or maybe we could start gifting each other consumables, or maybe we can go way out of our way to find something besides a physical item to gift one another uh, during these uh, special times uh, during the year, anniversaries, Christmas, I mean, personally, I, I don't find, uh, find it obligatory to give a gift on a holiday. I, I give gifts when I feel like giving them. Um, I just brought out my whole family out to uh, Montana to visit. Um, I, I got my grandma a, a, a plane ticket for her birthday, even though her, you know, I didn't buy the plane ticket on her birthday. I didn't give it to her on her birthday. It was more of a she wanted to pay me for it. And I'm like, hey, why don't I just call this your, your birthday gift. And she was like, yeah, that'll be great. So there are certainly ways that you guys can find 
uh, a balance between uh, gift giving and, and gift receiving by just having a very, very serious conversation about how you want to want to proceed uh, in the future. It, it's not a matter of don't buy me any more gifts as much as it is. Let's change the way you give me gifts. And then with your uh, with your family, I mean, that's I, I would encourage you to have a similar conversation with them. You know, something along the lines of I love you guys very much. I really appreciate having you. And you love me too, right? Yeah, of course we love you. And I really want you guys to be happy. And you want me to be, want me to be happy too, right? Yeah, of course we want you to be happy, Courtney. Well, if that's the case, then I really, really need you guys to support me uh, with, with not accumulating a lot of things. And have the same conversation. See if they can gift you gift, uh, gift you a, a, a gift of their time or an experience or I mean, I, I have given uh, my parents gifts before of, um, hey, I'm going to pay your mortgage payment this month. Um, or I don't even tell them. I just go to the bank and, and, and make a, a mortgage payment for them. I mean, I, that's, that's, a, that's a big cost. I'm sure not everyone uh, can afford to pay their parents uh, mortgage payment. I did that back in the corporate world. I only you know, paid it once or twice. Um, but, but my point is, is that there are very creative ways to give gifts without giving a physical item. And, you know, when it comes to the whole gift giving as a love language, I'm so, I'm sorry guys, but money does not buy love. Things does not buy love money and things. Uh, they're not good ways to show love. Now I do agree that there are certain gifts like, Oh, you know, while, uh, so-and-so's wife was away at work. Um, the husband, stayed home and cleaned the whole house. And that was maybe a gift to his wife. I do understand that we can give gifts that way. Um, but I would say that that is, is more of showing compassion and uh, uh, showing support in addition to giving a gift of time by cleaning the house. So I would just encourage your boyfriend, your family members to gift experiences over things. If they really, really want to spend some money on you, then maybe you can ask for um, some gift cards to something that you're looking for. Like I know one time I needed a refrigerator for my my uh, uh, condo that I was trying to sell. So I went around to my friends and family and I'm like, hey, I need a refrigerator for my condo. I know everyone here is going to get me, you know, a, a five or $10 trinket uh, as a gift for, for Christmas. Um, do you guys mind getting me a Best Buy gift certificate? And I got about, oh, I don't, I don't know how many it was, but I got a bunch of gift certificates and it didn't pay for the whole refrigerator, but it paid for like 30% of it or 40% of it. So, so that was a huge, huge help to me. Everyone else felt good. They were able to get me a gift. There's no harm in asking for uh, something that you want. I mean, these, these people love you. They, they want you to be happy. They want to support you. So go out of your way to tell them how they can support you. With the things that you have now, I mean, my mother and I, we have an agreement. If she gets me something that doesn't add value, then I will find someone else who can get value out of that item. Or I will find an organization who will find someone uh, else to get value out of that item. I will go to a Goodwill and, and give away some stuff. I, my mom, uh, she visited me last year. So this is a year ago. She brought me this like beautiful owl vase 
and these two candle holders. And I open it up and be, and as soon as I open it up, um, she's like, now I know that you may not like this and it's okay if, you know, if you go and donate it, but I just wanted to bring you a housewarming gift. And you know what? The owl vase fit really well with what we had. So I put the owl vase up. I still have it. Um, in fact, when she was in town last week, she was, uh, talking about, uh, how happy she was that, <laughs> that I had a gift of hers displayed in my home. Um, and it made her really, really happy. And those two candle holders, well, I went and I donated those. And my mother, because she does love me and she does want to support me, she didn't give me a hard time about the candle holders. She understood that those were two items that she found beautiful, but I I didn't necessarily. And she was okay with that. These are not easy conversations to have uh, for for everyone out there. Um, You know, Courtney, that's not an easy conversation to have, but these are conversations that must be had. And I think when you're having these conversations, you know, it's, it's important to start the conversation in a very positive light, but also to keep as much uh, negative emotion out of it. So even if, even if someone does get a little offended when you bring up this conversation, it is important to not react to that, to, to show as much compassion, to show as much love, put yourself in their shoes, um, and then react to uh, maybe a negative reaction from a family member, because once they see that you are being genuine, once they see that you're coming from a place of compassion and love, the chances are uh, they're going to start coming from that place as well. All right, Courtney, I am going to send you a copy of our book, Essential. I think there's a lot of good advice on there, how to uh, keep a balance uh, between this uh, gift giving and, and gift receiving All right, our next voicemail is from Charlene. Aside from my mortgage, I paid off all my debt a few months ago and have just recently chosen to leave my well-paying corporate job in order to pursue some kind of work that is more meaningful to me. The problem is I don't have a clear picture about what I want to do. I know I'll be able to survive on savings for a little while, but eventually I will need to resume collecting some kind of income. So my question is, do you have any tips for someone in my situation or any pitfalls that I should be looking out for? I would be interested in hearing your experiences from when you left your last job. Charlene, paid off all your debt. Congratulations. That is awesome. Man, I I just became debt-free for the first time last year, and it is the most freeing feeling I have ever had. I am uh, going to stay out of debt for as long as I can. Um, I, I refuse to go into debt uh, for anything right now. There may be a time in the future when that is a tool that I might need to utilize, but I really, really hope uh, that I'm able to stay out of debt the rest of my life. So congratulations there, Charlene. That is an amazing accomplishment. When I was in the corporate world and got laid off strategically, uh, what I mean by strategically is I sat my boss down one day and I said, Hey, uh, I got a question for you, man. If, if, uh, I left one, one day, if I leave here in the future, uh, and he knew that about our website and he knew that I was kind of looking to make a change. So, you know, if I ever do decide to make this change, uh, who, who are you going to replace me with? Let's talk about my replacement. And he looked at me and he was like, you know, I don't think I would replace you. Uh, because uh, I was hired to open up this small office, home office, uh, business sales channel and a bunch of retail stores. And I did that and I did it well. And it was, it was going so well, 
um, that uh, that they really didn't need me uh, to run it anymore because the support was there in place and everyone was trained to do their job. So when he said, I don't think I would replace you, I kind of looked at him and I'm like, huh, that's an interesting thought. And a couple months later, uh, he called me into the office and I was laid off. But But yeah, going from moving a hundred miles an hour to a complete stop. It was so, it was so jarring. I had no idea, uh, how jarring it was going to be. I, I literally remember when I got laid off, I, I had about, I don't know, probably 30 emails sitting in my inbox that I hadn't read. Um, there was a few in there that I had to, uh, that I had read needed to respond to. There was all these projects I had going on. My phone was ringing nonstop and then as soon as I got laid off and walked out of that office, all of it just went away. And, and that would be the first, first tip that I, I kind of give you, Charlene, is be prepared for that, that, that very quick stop. Have, have a plan. I really wish I would have had a better plan for when I got laid off. I was thinking that, well, once I get laid off, I'll be able to do whatever I want. I'll be able to get up and read if I want. I'll be able to get up and write if I want. Uh, or I'll just be able to uh, get up and, 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 and veg on some Netflix if I want. And I'll tell you, doing it as I, uh, as I just went along was very, very, <laughs> very detrimental. That first month, I got very little writing done. I got very little reading done. Uh, because I was just kind of winging it. And it wasn't until I really started incorporating a good uh, schedule. It wasn't until I really started getting more productive and, and, and feeling better about myself. So I, I don't have a routine. Um, I don't have, uh, you know, I, I mean, I have a routine in the sense of I'll get up at seven o'clock pretty much every day. If it's not seven, it'll be eight o'clock. And then I'm usually in bed by 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at night. Um, I focus on three things every single day. I focus on uh, eating well. I focus on moving well. And then I get as much sleep as I can. So those are kind of like the three, three ingredients for me um, that, that I guess I incorporate into my everyday life. But there is not a specific routine that I have uh, revolved around that. I will typically plan out my weeks. Um, so on Sunday night, I will look at my week and and plan out my week accordingly. So if I'm looking at, okay, Tuesdays, that's when we record podcasts. Uh, that's when we have, uh, you know, our, our, uh, meeting to catch up on whatever. Um, but Wednesday I've got open and Thursday I've got open. Okay. Well, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to do these three or four things and I will put that in my schedule. So that would be my first, my first tip for you is if you leave your corporate job, uh, make sure that you have, have a plan to act on, um, when, when you leave there, especially when it comes to your routine. The other thing too, is once you leave your job, don't be fooled that you're going to find this perfect job where you wake up every single morning elated. I, I know that we talk about, uh, job versus career versus mission, and even when we're living our mission, even when we're doing the things that we love to do, there's still a lot of work involved. And I think I underplayed that. I knew there was some work to do, but I wasn't really honest with myself on how much work uh, there was going to be ahead of me. Now, the difference between me working a lot now and me working a lot six years ago 
is now the work that I put into uh, everything aligns with my values and beliefs. It, the outcome that I get is, is far greater um, than the outcome I used to get six years ago. So that's really what I focus on is, is my outcome. So I guess I'm giving you this advice because let's say that you quit your job and you want to start developing um, a good exercise routine and you want to be a personal trainer. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Now the results are going to be amazing. You're going to be fit. You're going to be healthy. You're going to show other people how to be healthy. Um, but it's going to take a lot of work to get there. So my recommendation is whatever you choose to do when you leave work, focus on that outcome, focus on, 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 on what you ultimately want to get. And then the other piece of that too is, and I'm, I'm kind of going off of the ultimate success formula here, which Josh and I talk about all the time. Uh, we got that from uh, Tony Robbins, but w- not only think about the outcome, but think about why you want that outcome. What are the reasons behind you wanting to have this final outcome? Why do you want to be a, I'll, I'll just stick with the, the example of a personal trainer. Why do you want to be a personal trainer? Well, it's because I want to show other people how to get fit. I want to uh, be fit myself. I want to add a lot of value. Whatever the reasons are, be clear on those because that is what is going to help you keep that motivation to move forward. Uh, But expect to have your peaks and your valleys. And when you're at the peak, enjoy it. And when you're in the valley, uh, push through and drudge through that drudgery. Another thing I'll say too, Charlene is don't, don't look at the passion that you cultivate. Don't look at that as a way to make money. I I mean, if anything, if you are concerned about providing yourself with an income after you leave your job, because certainly, uh, you you said you you didn't have savings that was going to last you for the rest of your life. It'll last you a little bit. You don't want to just burn through that savings. I would encourage you to find a, a part-time job, or even if it is a full-time job, that's fine. But find, find a job that aligns with your values and beliefs. I mean, when I got laid off, um, I had about uh, six months worth of bills saved up uh, between my savings and a little bit of severance that I had. And I told myself that if I didn't have a clear plan on how I was going to pay my bills after those six months, if I didn't have a clear plan after the first month or two, um, I was going to go get a job as a barista. And it's not because I look at being a barista as like, that's my passion as much as being a barista aligns with my values and beliefs. Uh, it aligns with, um, it, it just aligns with how I want to live my life. Uh, it would allow me to have time each day, each week to invest in my health, to invest into my relationships, to uh, cultivate a passion, to grow, to contribute. So I would encourage you to, uh, if you're worried about paying your bills, find a job that aligns with your values and beliefs. Um, well, first you need to get clear on what your values and beliefs are, but after you do that, um, then find a job that aligns with those and any passion that you cultivate, do that, do that on the side. Don't, don't just pick something as soon as you leave work to say, well, this is what I'm going to make money at because that's not always going to be a guarantee. All right, Charlene, thank you for that question. I'm going to send you a copy of Everything That Remains. Uh, That is the non-fictional narrative that Josh and I wrote about when we left the corporate world. It's actually a a narrative through Josh's eyes on his transition from the corporate world to uh, ultimately being a minimalist in in Montana. So I I think that'll help you uh, because it goes into detail with our transitions. All right, our next voicemail is from... 
John. My question is concerning our two dogs. Um, lately, they're not bringing any value to our life. In fact, they are complicating things. But it goes against my personal belief system to uh, to not take personal responsibility for uh, a life that you have um, committed to. Um, so I, I want to know uh, what 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 are some options I should have, or what are some things that you would recommend um, as far as, as the situation. And also, we're going to be moving into a 228 square foot home, so we're also not going to really have a lot of room. In addition to the fact that they aren't adding any value to our lives. John, you want to minimize your dogs? Yeah, I. Uh... I agree with you 100%, man. Those are lives that you brought in uh, to your life. Um, I mean, it'd be the same thing if you had kids, right? I mean, you wouldn't just be like, well, these kids aren't really adding any value. I'm going to go you know, put them off at the adoption center. Um, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I actually went through this when I was living in Ohio. Um, I had a cat. His name was O'Malley. He was an awesome cat. He still is an awesome cat. Uh, I would basically go on these little stents where uh, Josh and I would, you know, go on tour for a couple of weeks or maybe we go to a speaking engagement or whatever it may be. I found myself leaving at least uh, once a month or once every other month for a week or two at a time. And as this was going on, I noticed the deterioration of my, my cat's attitude. He, he would get really upset with me. Um, I would uh, always bring him down to my mom's. She would watch him for the time that I was gone. Then I'd go pick him up and bring him back. But it seemed like every single time I did that, it was just getting worse and worse. And he was becoming more and more miserable. So I kind of faced the same situation where I'm like, shoot, like I really need to find this cat a good home. Um, because he's, he's not very happy here. So I put the word out. I, 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 my, I talked to my girlfriend at the time. I talked to friends. I talked to family, put, put messages out on Facebook and it took me about six weeks, uh, but I was eventually able to find a home for O'Malley. Uh, it was a, uh, it was my girlfriend's uh, at, at the time. It was my girlfriend at the time. It was her uh, friends who were looking for a cat, and it just happened to be a great situation. Uh, they have sent me pictures and videos of him him playing with with their other cat and with their their little baby, and and, it, and it's wonderful to get those updates. So. That's 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 the approach that I took. That is the approach that I would encourage you to take. I mean, I know that there are like no kill animal shelters out there that you could potentially bring them to. Personally, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to judge anyone who does that. Um, I'm, I'm certain there are situations out there where that is uh, the best option. But it sounds like you got a little bit of time, so just put some legwork into it, man. Uh, Facebook, Craigslist your friends, your family, your coworkers really go out of your way uh, to find these dogs a good home. I certainly wouldn't encourage you to just drop them off at a shelter. It's a good question. Uh, I know that this answer is, is a little simple, uh, but that doesn't make it easy. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work to find a home for those dogs. I'm going to send you a copy of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, John. Minimalism, Live Live a Meaningful Life is the first book Josh and I wrote where we really talk about our values and beliefs. And I think with any decision we make in life, whether it's with bringing in a physical item, whether it's uh, 
committing to a new job or a new hobby or whatever it may be, a new relationship, we really need to look at our values and beliefs. So hopefully this book will help you uh, make some you know, different decisions in the future and, and maybe look a little bit farther ahead for when you want to maybe bring another animal into your life or maybe a kid or something like that. So we'll send you a copy of Live a Meaningful Life, John. Thank you very much for that question. We'd love to hear what all of you have to say. So if you have a comment about today's podcast, or if you've got a minimalism tip that you really find beneficial in your life, then leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And if your voicemail is selected, we'll send you an autographed copy of one of our books, either Essential or Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, or everything that remains. Now we're going to move on to our iTunes comment of the week. This one is brought to you by Sandromedy. Sandromedy's title of their comment is life changing. That's with an exclamation mark. Super excited to start my new life. Each podcast is adding so much value. I never thought that less stuff was the key to my true happiness. I'm becoming a better mom and person. Thanks to you both for being an inspiration and thanks for teaching me the true art of contentment, minimalism. Thank you, Sandromedy, for that lovely comment. I am going to send you two tickets to our upcoming documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things that airs on May 24th. I'm sorry, debuts airs. It's not airing yet. It's just uh, debuting in theaters on May 24th. But no, I think you'll like that documentary a lot. Um, if you enjoy listening to me and Josh, you know, two, two, two guys with no kids, if you enjoy listening to us talk about minimalism, you're going to love listening to a whole, whole lot of other people with uh, diverse viewpoints on minimalism talk about it. We've got minimalist families. We've got minimalist architects. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good information there. So I think you will find some additional value too. And thank you to everyone else who has left a review on iTunes. Your positive, honest reviews help our simple living message reach more ears. So keep them coming. We'll keep reading our favorite iTunes comments on the podcast. So feel free to get extra creative with your comments. Okay. You guys know what time it is. It is time for our hashtag ask the minimalists lightning round. There can be only one. Yeah, where we answer questions from social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Our first question is from Yana. Yana writes, how do you combat procrastination? Trying to minimize my things, but it's taking me a long time. No momentum. Well, with anything in life where we feel overwhelmed, it's, it's very important that we, we don't take it all on at once. So I don't know exactly how cluttered your life is with, with physical possessions, Yana, 
But if it's a lot, if you're looking at a cluttered, uh, in a completely cluttered house where every room has clutter and it starts small, start with your, your bedroom closet or your bathroom linen closet and just focus on one area every single week. Focus on one small area. I mean, there's that, that saying that we've all heard, you don't eat an elephant all at once. You have to take it one bite at a time. This goes with a lot of things in life and definitely with our uh, material possessions when they become too overwhelming. I mean, for me, it was about having a packing party where I packed up all my belongings as if I were moving and then I unpacked things as I needed it over the next three weeks. For me, I had to do something uh, very extreme because I know that for me, the only way that I can get anything done, especially when I find myself stuck in a runt or not being able to keep up momentum is I will do something um, extreme to change my state. So whatever you need to do to change your state, do that, Yana, but don't overwhelm yourself too much. You could do a packing party like I did if you find it uh, easier to do it that way. A lot of people, they think of a packing party and it, and it sends them heading for the hills, which I completely understand. If, if that's too overwhelming, then start with a packing party in just a small room. But the key here is to form a plan and to stick to it. Don't have too full of a plate. I'll tell you what helps me too is having an accountability partner. Uh, Mariah does a really good job of this. Um, I talk to her often about, okay, this is what I want to do this week. And if you see me kind of slacking off a little bit, do you mind giving me a little elbow in the ribs? Or do you mind, you know, maybe mentioning something here or there? And she does it in a very loving way. Um, a very kind way. Uh, she doesn't have to remind me all the time, but there are times when she's like, Oh, weren't you going to go ahead and take care of this today? So we could, you know, do this tomorrow. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. I, I did say that. So having an accountability partner, uh, will definitely help, uh, in, in, the, in that situation, just find a friend or a family member, or a significant other to, to come over and help you declutter that closet. Or maybe, maybe they come over and help you declutter two closets, whatever it may be, form a plan And if you think it'll help, find an accountability partner who's willing to help you out. And Yana, I'll tell you what helps me too is, you know, not just finding an accountability uh, partner or accountability person, I will also try and find a mentor. Um, I can tell you there are a ton of mentors I have had in my life. So if you can't find an accountability partner or you can't find a mentor, you can always go to theminimalists.com forward slash mentoring, where I do offer some mentoring services. Now I'm booked out um, until after the tour until June. Um, But I've got a whole team of mentors there uh, that are ready to help others out and and help hold them accountable. Um, It was funny, I when I first started the the mentoring thing, I, I was just doing it myself. And there would be times where I would go uh, take a question from a client or a student, I like to say, I guess clients probably uh, Uh, I don't like using that word anymore. So I would take a question from a student and go ask one of my mentors, hey, I just had this great question from a student. Like, what would you tell him? And then I'm like, wait a minute, why am I being the middleman here? I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to give access to everyone, uh, to, to to the people who I find to be really good mentors. So feel free to check that out. Um, for anyone out there who is looking for an accountability partner, can't find one. Um, we would be happy to help provide you one. Now, I know that you're thinking that, Ryan, he's just trying to sell us his mentoring services. And 
yeah, I am trying to provide a service here, but you know, if you don't need a mentor, then great. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't go check it out. Um, but at the end of the day, Josh and I, uh, we don't recommend anything that we don't find true value in. Um, there are a, a ton of good mentors there. I've got, uh, one gentleman who, uh, has experience in running a multi-billion dollar business. Um, I've got a, a an awesome, uh, team of people who do great, uh, graphic design work and website building. I've got a, a dating coach. Uh, if, if you're having trouble meeting people, I have uh, someone who will coach you through your writing and, and the writing process and, and uh, uh, just the artistic process in general. So there's a ton of resources there. If you find yourself needing, needing that, check it out. If not, then don't check it out. That's all right. Our next question is from Aaron. Aaron writes, is there a value in missing a loved one who lives far away? What feelings and emotions don't add value? Well, I would certainly say that missing a loved one, uh, I don't know if that adds value, but it is an emotion that we all experience. So this this feeling of longing to see someone, uh, I don't know if that is an emotion that someone can just completely block out. Now, I do know that there is a point of useless rumination. Um, my, my family was just here last week. They're gone. They're back in Ohio. I miss them already, but I don't sit around every single second of the day and ruminate on how much I miss them. I know that it's important for me to think about them. It's important for me to, uh, keep a pulse on how my relationship is going with my friends and family. Um, but I don't, uh, I do not practice useless rumination. So I, I think that is where this feeling of, of missing a loved one, I think that is where uh, it, would be, it would be pointless is to just sit there and, and ruminate on it for, for no reason. I mean, you ask too about what feelings and emotions don't add value. I would say jealousy is one of those emotions that doesn't add value. There is not uh, one good reason I can think of where the emotion of jealousy uh, adds value. Now, do I get jealous? Sure, I get jealous. But every time I get jealous, I have to ask myself, why am I jealous? Am I jealous because my pride is hurt, because my ego is hurt? And I really have to face that emotion head on. And certainly jealousy, uh, the more we ruminate on that, the the more egregious actions, I guess, uh, we, we would take, uh, maybe not egregious, uh, it certainly could to lead to an egregious action, but ruminating on, on, on jealousy is not going to do us any good. Same thing with hate. I think hate is another one of those. Now people are going to say, well, sometimes you got to hate something. And I don't think you ever have to hate anything. Like let's look at, uh, you know, pointless, pointless crimes, pointless murders or, uh, starvation with kids. I mean, those are all things that, that, that I hate now, you know, when I think about governments in other countries who are intentionally starving their population, I really hate that. But, uh, that hate isn't going to do me any good. The only thing that's going to do good in that situation is action. Now that hate might drive me towards some type of action to assist those in need. Um, but, I would still argue that it wasn't the hate that drove me. It was more of the compassion that drove me to, to take an action to help someone in need. So 
these are all emotions that we all experience. They're not easy to control. Um, but if we do take some time to really tackle those emotions head on, uh, they're a lot easier to, to deal with rather than uh, just going with a feeling and, and just acting on it because it feels good to act on that feeling. Our next question is from Jordan. Jordan writes, why the uniform, black t-shirt, jeans, and brown boots? I love it and find it interesting. People always want to know about my black t-shirts. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why I have a uniform. It's because I feel like I look good in it. When I look in the mirror, I'm like, all right, I look presentable today. And that makes me feel good. Um, it also helps me eliminate at least, you know, three, I'd say three or four decisions in the morning. There is this whole study around how many good decisions we get to make in a day. I think it's like around 150 or 200. Like you basically are able to make 150 to to 200 good decisions a day before you experience decision fatigue. So getting up and having my outfit already picked out every single day helps me to avoid this decision fatigue. In fact, I was reading this article uh, where... Obama was talking about how he doesn't pick out his suits. He doesn't pick out his breakfast because uh, he understands that there is this thing called decision fatigue. And every time we have to make a decision, we exhaust ourselves a little bit. So I would say uh, that is probably one of the biggest reasons why I have the same uniform every single day is because it allows me to make other decisions that, that need my attention, uh, not just decisions, but good decisions. By the way, I read uh, in the New York Times somewhere that we make 35,000 decisions a day. What are you going to eat? Where are you going to go to next? Where are you going to walk? Where are you going to put on? Where, uh, are you going to brush your teeth today? Are you going to brush them again at night? I mean, there's just all these uh, different decisions we make every single day. And, and some studies have shown that we have to make up to 35,000. Now, if we only get 150 to 200 good decisions a day, uh, it's important that we we limit as many decisions as possible. If you want to find out more about uh, decision fatigue, you can just Google it. Um, there are so many different articles out there. Uh, we can, we can post one article in the show notes. Um, I'll, I'll give it to you, Sean, to put in there, uh, from the New York times. Uh, it was an article from a few years ago, but, but very, very good article on, on what decision fatigue is. Maxine, Maxine asks, when will I be able to call myself a minimalist and truly be in tune with all it offers? Well, Maxine, you have to own exactly 52 things, and if you have a child, you can own another 23 things, and if that uh, child, uh, if, if it's a girl, actually, you can own 20, 28 things. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, Maxine, I wish there was some magic recipe, some, you know, a number of, uh, of things that was perfect for every single person in every single situation, and the reality is, is there is no end game to minimalism. You know, I wasn't a minimalist until I called myself a minimalist until Josh and I bought the domain for seven bucks. Uh, the minimalists, uh, you know, we, we weren't minimalists. So deciding I think is what really makes you a minimalist. And then every single day it's, it's asking yourself that question of, is this going to add value to my life with, with every single resource that we have, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, now, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't want to make a hundred percent good decisions every single day, but I will say that working these habits into my everyday life 
practicing this philosophy of simplicity has helped me to to really focus on on those three things that I talked about earlier, eating well, sleeping well, uh, moving around, getting some exercise. I'm able to focus on what brings me joy and it takes work. So when will you be able to call yourself a minimalist? Today, Maxine, you can call yourself a minimalist today. All right, Julia writes, what would a minimalist put inside a time capsule? Julia, I don't think I would ever have a time capsule. Uh, seriously, though, I was talking to Sean about this before uh, our producer. I was talking to him about what we would put in time capsule. And I'm like, there really is nothing. I might have a time capsule flash drive. Uh, maybe maybe that's what I would have. But But other than that, I can't think of any physical items I think would be super important for us to to carry through or, or to look at, you know, 50 years or hundred years from now. I mean, when we think about time capsules anyway, it's novelty. <laughs> when have we ever, when have we ever opened up a time capsule and we were like, Oh my God, we totally forgot that this existed 50 years ago and it's going to make a huge difference to us right now. No, it's, it's usually some kind of nostalgic, uh, reminiscing. It's, it's a novelty. It's a novelty thing. And, and you know, when, when it comes down to it, I leave it up to the experts to decide uh, what's in, important to preserve, whether it's a museum curator or uh, someone who specializes in antiques. You know, I leave those decisions up to, up to the professionals. All right. Our last question for hashtag ask the minimalists lightning round is from Mark. Mark writes, what would you tell your 18 year old self? Oh man, I don't know. I'd probably just shake the crap out of them. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think my first bit of advice to my 18 year old self would be people first, money second. And what I mean by that is, is, is I was so focused on how much money I was making so I could e- accumulate as many things as I wanted that I was putting people aside. And now it's the opposite. Now money is the opportunity cost. I'm not saying that you know, Josh and I are allergic to money or that we, we, we don't make any money or we don't need money. That's not the case. But we don't make decisions solely based on money. The first question we will ask is, you know, how is this going to affect our audience? How is this going to make our audience feel? How is this going to make us feel? How is this going to make the people who are important to us? How is it going to make them feel? How is it going to affect them? And then we can look at the, okay, uh, this is what it's going to cost if we decide to do this. This is what it's going to cost us. So that would probably probably be the the first bit of advice. And then, like I said, I would probably just shake myself and and really try to to get myself to understand that all those things that I desire, it's not it's not what's going to lead me to happiness. It's not going to lead me to having a a good standing in society. Uh, and I was very caught up on the car I drove, the house I had. That's what was going to make me, uh, you know, be have a good standing in, in, in the society around me. And, and that's just not the case. Uh, I probably tell myself to stop doing drugs, too, because <laughs> that was I mean, when I was 18, um, not that I was doing a ton of drugs when I was 18, but just kind of occasionally. But that led up to very heavy usage in my early to mid 20s. And. I really, really wish I would have just stopped when I was 18 because the longer I had went on, the harder it was to, to stop doing those things. So that's probably uh, the, the advice I would, I would give to my 18-year-old self. All right. Now it is time for our added value portion of the show where 
we recommend something that has added value to us in our lives recently. I'm going to recommend a podcast I was listening to yesterday. Uh, I was listening to a podcast called The Good Life. Uh, it's hosted by a gentleman named Jonathan Fields. And he was interviewing a guy named Chase Jarvis. This was a podcast from a couple months ago, but I was just kind of getting caught up. I'm so glad that I went into the archive and found this specific podcast. It did a really good job of talking about how to cultivate your passion and cultivate your work and really find something meaningful to put your time and energy into and, and make a living from it. But then they also touched on how to plan for what was next and how to kind of cultivate something else. Um, I'm going to do a very bad job of paraphrasing this. That's why we're going to put this link up uh, on the show notes so you guys can listen to yourself. But one of the biggest takeaways I had from this podcast was them talking about how, yes, we have our main work. We have, we have what we do with the majority of our day. And then there are these hobbies. There are, there, there are these passions that we are cultivating on the side when that happens. And instead of looking at, uh, you know, how am I going to leave what I'm currently doing? Instead, it's, it's more of a focus on, okay, these side hobbies, these things that I'm working on in my spare time, this is my next work. This is actually what I, I am going to do next. And when I think about uh, how Josh and I have evolved over the last six years with the minimalists.com, um, it, it did. It started out, it started out one way and it has evolved since. And, uh, just, you know, one of the side things I can think about that Josh and I've been working on that are now coming to fruition is our documentary. You know, we didn't, we did not, uh, go into this documentary thinking, okay, all right, well, we need a, we need a good revenue source for uh, 2016. Um, let's go ahead and film a documentary. That is not how we approached that. We approached our documentary as something that we thought, uh, we could try and do. We had a very creative director, Matt Diavella, who was willing to try it out with us and to see what we could come up with. And we, you know, we didn't have any expectations, but now, um, it's something that has completely exceeded any expectations I, I could have had. And I'm really excited about it. And, uh, again, that just kind of started off as a side project. And, and now, um, you know, we, we've got this documentary that's, that's uh, an amazing film and we're really excited to, to get it out there. Yeah, so go check out Jonathan Fields' Good Life Project. I think you'll find a lot of value in it, especially that podcast episode where he interviews Chase Jarvis. Again, that will be in our show notes if you want to check that out. All right, guys, I'm going to move on to our next segment, which we call Right Here, Right Now. It's where we get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Of course, you know about our documentary. You can go to minimalismfilm.com where you can see the trailer. And if you'd like to see the film, just click see the film that comes out on May 24th. I just want to reiterate, guys, you can't wait until the night of to buy tickets to this. You got to get them in advance. So if you want to see our documentary, please, please go there and get some tickets. We also have Tuesdays with the Minimalists on Periscope and Twitter. We are doing that through the rest of April and then it's done. So you still have a chance to catch Josh and I live. Really, it's just an excuse for us to get on Periscope and be goofy. And, and you know, it's, it's like deleted after 24 hours, so uh, we can get away with a lot on there. Of course, Josh has his class, How to Write Better, which is on June 26. You can go to howtowritebetter.org if you want to find out more about that. I have taken Josh's writing class, and it, it, 
it's a great, great class to take if you're looking to form habits. Josh does a really good job of laying out how he writes, what his process is. Uh, he shows you his recipe. Now, that recipe is not very easy to imitate, um, but I promise you that there are a few ingredients there that you will take away from it if you're someone who is uh, just wanting to get into writing but don't really know where to start. That's a great class. And then, of course, guys, there's always minimalist.org. If you find yourself needing some support or if you want to support others in their journey with simplicity, then go to minimalist.org. We've got 100 cities around the world where people are meeting up each month and they're doing different stuff. Uh, some, some cities will go on tiny home tours. Some cities will talk about budgeting or they'll bring in a budgeting expert. Um, but there's always a lot going on there. If you go to minimalist.org and you do not find a city near you, you can always go to our online city where you will also find a ton of support. And finally, here are some voicemail comments from our listeners. Hi, this is Andrew Mead from Philadelphia, and I had a few comments about the careers episode which just aired. Uh, one caller called in, and they said their biggest barrier to entry in terms of switching from a full-time job to their own career is health insurance. And that was definitely something that I struggled with as well. And I just wanted to point out a tool. It's called Stride Health, S-T-R-I-D-E health.com. I'm not affiliated in any way. I've just been a customer for a year, and it is fantastic. They hook you up with a really easy way to get insurance through United Healthcare. You don't have to go through any of the boring paperwork that you would if you went through them directly. Stride has a few simple forms you fill out. It's truly fantastic. Another comment I had about another caller was uh, she said she was uh, basically passionate about a lot of different things, and she found that every few months she'd switch her passions and that she was getting discouraged because she always switched to different things. And one comment I'd like to leave is if you love learning, teach. I mean, you can be surprised how much you know after just a couple months of learning something that someone who's getting into the basics won't know. You can offer a lot of value teaching the things you just learned. So that's always an option, too. Hi, this is Anna from Columbia, Maryland, uh, responding to the most recent episode of the podcast. Really love the podcast, by the way. Um, about um, traveling, I came across a website called Go Eco, and I haven't been on one of their trips, but um, if you look at travel instead of going sightseeing and stuff, um, and you look at it instead in terms of, like, volunteering and then getting to see some new places and people along the way, then um, you can save a lot of money. The, I think the GoEco.org trips are really reasonable, um, and I think there's other organizations that are similar. Hello, my name is Annie, and I'm calling from Los Angeles, California. I just finished your sentimental podcast and wanted to share what helps me declutter my sentimental items. It might sound morbid, but I like to think about if I were to pass away all of a sudden, how would I feel about my family and friends looking through all my stuff? Would I want them to find all those unflattering middle school photos or read all the immature thoughts I wrote down in my high school journal? Probably not. So when I think about how embarrassed I would be if they came across these items, it makes me extra motivated to get rid of them now since life is short and we don't really know when it's going to be our last day. And when tossing things out all at once is too difficult, I find it helpful to do it in rounds. 
For instance, I decluttered old letters multiple times, but always had a hard time throwing away thoughtful letters from old guy friends or old boyfriends, even though I don't talk to any of them anymore. But after I got married last year, I realized that if I were to pass away, it would be my husband sorting through these letters. And even though they don't say anything incriminating, I'm sure he would appreciate me sparing him the trouble by getting rid of them now, which is what I did. So revisiting stuff you wanted to clutter during a different season of your life might just be the extra push that was needed to finally throw something away. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Joe from Maryland. Um, I just actually wanted to say thank you for... Um, Sending your message to um, out onto the world so everyone can can learn from you guys. Um, I actually uh, got a ton out of your message, um, and I'm actually a doctor, a pediatrician, and my current job gets me a lot of good money. But um, I'm seeing up to 60 patients a day, which is about five to seven minutes per patient, and um, I'm really tired. I'm I'm really stressed and overwhelmed, and I also feel like I'm not doing my patients justice. Uh, I also have been working a lot of late night hours till 10 p.m. seeing patients and lots of weekends and holidays and I haven't been seeing my wife as much and my family as much as I'd like. Actually my wife is in a different city because we're both pursuing medical careers Um, and I'm making good money but I'm basically unhappy not seeing my family and wife, not doing my patients justice and being tired and after seeing your TED Talks and listening to your podcasts and uh, minimalizing a lot, I've actually decided uh, I've actually got interviews to um, get a job in my wife's city, which is part-time pediatrics, where I'll get to spend a lot more time with each patient. I'll get time for myself to take care of my health. Um, and the money is less, but it's better for my wife, for my patients, and for me. And to me, I'm incredibly excited for for um, this possibility. And even if I don't get this job, I'm going to keep applying for jobs that are like it. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call at 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, I hope it's this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear